The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 167. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the first episode of the second season of Star Trek Lower Decks called Strange Energies. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. A couple things I want to mention. First, follow the Secrets of Star Trek in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, your favorite podcast app. And we're also on the SQPN YouTube channel. We should make sure to hit the bell to get notifications. Stick around to the end. We're going to have some listener feedback that we've been saving up. Some really good feedback from you, our listeners. And I want to tell you about another show that's on the StarQuest Network called Secrets of Movies and TV Shows, where we talk about all the movies and TV shows that don't fit into our specific show uh, episodes or uh, specific shows, podcasts like Secrets of Star Trek, where we talk about all the Star Trek stuff. Uh, there's old movies, new movies, old TV shows, new TV shows. Check it out at sqpn.com slash secrets or wherever you find fine podcasts. All right. So we are approaching the second season of Star Trek Lower Decks differently than we approached the first season. This time we're going to be talking about each episode as it comes out. And, Just uh, like I said we should have done from the beginning. Uh, as usual, we should have listened to Jimmy from the first. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. We, to be fair, to, we debated on it. We did. And debate. we took a different option. Yes. So, but it turned to say I was outvoted. Yes. Well, <laughs> yeah. We were, I think, Father Corey, if I may speak for us, we were unsure of the quality yes. level of an animated Star Trek. I think I had in my mind the original animated Star Trek where it is sometimes difficult to talk at length about it. But And the, the fact that Mike McMahon is involved, was involved in Rick and Morty did not bode well for me, but fortunately it <laughs> turned out to be wrong. Yes. So that's a good thing. Yes, it has definitely, definitely been a, a, a shining gem in the Star Trek uh, necklace of, of uh, shows. Uh, so, so far, it's my favorite of the new ones they're making. Mm -hmm. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, I would agree. Yes. Um, hopeful for Strange New Worlds. But yeah, so mm -hmm. far. Uh, so let's quickly get a recap, Jimmy, if you could give us a recap of this story. Beckett and her mother, the captain, have been working together instead of fighting each other, and it's really getting on both their nerves. Uh, their teamwork is put to the test in this episode when First Officer Ransom is hit with strange energies and develops Gary Mitchell-like godlike powers and goes on a rampage because he's deeply resentful of Beckett's relationship with her mom. Meanwhile, Rutherford is going on a date with Ensign Barnes, but Tendy is concerned that his new cybernetic implant will melt his brain, and she goes to extreme comedic lengths to save him. Ultimately, Beckett and her mom do work as a team as the captain talks down Ransom's giant detached head, which is menacing the ship, and Beckett, down on the planet, beats up his body. 
Nevertheless, they decide to dissolve their partnership for the sake of their mutual sanity. Also, ultimately, Tendi reveals to Rutherford that he's actually fine and she was just worried his cybernetic implant might stop him from liking her as a friend. Finally, ultimately, we get a glimpse of Boimler being terrified with Riker on the Titan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, pretty much does it. So, yeah, let's talk about this. We start this episode with Mariner uh, back on the holodeck with one of her training one of her workouts mm-hmm. uh, where she, Car- she, Cardassian prison break holodeck workout <laughs> session. Yeah. Yes. Uh, she's and while she's doing it in the midst of this prison break, she's emoting about Boimler abandoning her and openly working for her mother, uh, who's the captain and the sort of co-captaining is the way mm-hmm. they say it at one point instead of and she feels like it's not as fun because she really enjoyed sneaking around as the nameless bad ensign earlier or bad lieutenant and um, means she can't be as cavalier as she used to be. So, so she's got that going on, but there's all these great little, as usual with lower decks, great little Easter eggs in there. She's the torture chamber has four lights in it. You know? Yeah, there's this is clearly, you know, playing off of chain of command where Picard gets tortured by David Warner as a Cardassian, which I think that was a missed beat. I know they wanted the female torture Cardius yeah. to do the torture that needed to be David Warner revo- <laughs> re- reprising. That would have been awesome. That would have been awesome. I, I, I like the line and you have to have seen chain of command to get it. But yeah. um, but that's a classic ep- two part episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the um, at, at one point as they're breaking out of the Cardassian prison. They run past a, a holographic represent, representation of Boimler who's chained up. And he's like, take me with you. They keep showing me lights. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they keep asking me about all these lights. Uh, she ends up stealing a Reliant class, uh, a um, starship, the USS yep. McDuff, which do you think that's a Simpsons reference? McDuff I think was, I, I looked it up. I, I forgot to write down what the guy did, but there was a there was a guy whose last name was McDuff that was involved actually with uh, Wrath of Khan. I oh, think it was. Okay. So yes, it is the same ship from Wrath of Khan, basically the the, yeah. the that Khan steals. Miranda, Miranda class has got the same bridge and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. McDuff has a bunch of a bunch of cultural resonances. Lead on McDuff is a famous phrase, for example. Oh, Whereas right. The Simpsons, it's Duff beer, but yep, I, yeah. I, I'm not thinking of a McDuff from there. Oh, right, right. It's Duff beer. That's right. That's right. Uh, Ensign Jennifer shows up and interrupts the program. Tells her her mom wants to see her. Which oh, uh, this is great, <laughs> great, great line with that. Great line with that too. Because after after Jennifer goes back. Uh, uh, boy or Mariner says, I know we're not supposed to have interpersonal conflict, but I really hate that Endorian. And of course the interpersonal conflict is poking at TNG yeah. era where they weren't allowed to have interpersonal conflict with the bridge crew. Right. Right. That's true. That's true. That's a good reference. Uh, yeah. So, and meanwhile, we get this there uh, back in the captain's ready room. She's trying to be cool. Mom. She's doing a log entry where she's, you know, uh, I, I you know, I try to be a cool mom by indulging, Mariner's side mission whims and, uh, and 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 she's conflicted over that. So we get the this this is the major conflict in the story is is how do we get back to where a uh, Mariner can be the rogue wild crew member who kind of takes things you know, cr- into crazy d- uh, directions in every episode. And so that's that's going to where we're going to be ending up with this. Um yeah, this episode is basically a big reset button for everything but Boimler. Yes, that I'm sure that's coming. Yeah. <laughs> Boimler will be coming back. Uh now, you mentioned like the thing with Tendy and Rutherford that Tendy was 
that was concerned that uh, the change to Rutherford's implant last season, we had a whole thing where Rutherford's implant got torn out and had to be put back in was going to cause that he, he was acting differently, like liking pairs where he used to hate pairs. And she thought that might mean he might not like her as a friend anymore. Yeah. And that pairs thing may be a reference to Doctor Who, um, because that's the only other sci-fi I can think of where pairs come up. Yeah. Um, originally on Doctor Who, in the episode Blink, um, David Tennant ad-libbed a bunch of dialogue for the hmm. DVD recordings. Yeah, um, right. of him that feature in that episode. And among the other things, he was just babbling off the top of his head is never eat pears. <laughs> and and then they brought that back and we didn't actually see that on screen, but then they brought it back in the 12th Doctor's regeneration speech where he's blathering about be kind and also don't eat pears. <laughs> right, right. And so this may be a wink to Doctor Who. I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. But Tendy's concern is that he he may have uh, he may develop synthetic memory degradation um, as a result of his new implant, which culminates in your brain draining out through your nose, just like you were an Egyptian being embalmed to become a mummy. <laughs> yeah. Although they don't add the archaeological part. That's just me. Yep. Yeah. I was wondering, is it uh, that maybe she just has ulterior motives? They've been kind of hinting at a oh, romantic yeah. interest between Tendi mm -hmm. and Rutherford. Uh, totally. And, and so he's dating this uh, Ensign Barnes, who he went on a date with last season, and it didn't work out at all. In the first episode. But he says, right. but this is our third date. It'll it'll be great. It, it, <laughs> apparently the second one worked out well. Right. Yeah. Um, and and then Mar Mariner says to Tendi, well, look, if you've got a problem with, with him dating Ensign Barnes, maybe you should tell him. And she's like, oh, I don't have a problem with him dating Ensign Barnes. I think he may have synthetic memory degradation. I will save my friend. Yeah. Yes. And so they subvert that. But then at the end, when she confesses, I've just really been afraid that your memory implant would make you stop liking me. He's like, oh, no implant could make me stop liking you as a friend. And they hug. And she says, by the way, don't date Ensign Barnes. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yeah, there's a yeah, that that trope of the I have feelings for you, but I don't want to tell you. So I'm going to mm -hmm. do everything that's to, in my power to stop you from dating this person without actually telling you I have feelings. Yeah. And, and I love the ways she tortures him as part of the ruse, the <laughs> synthetic memory degradation. Yeah. Like at, at first she she see she's got him in a cargo bay or something with hooked up to like a bazillion little EEG pads. Yep. Yeah. All over his chest. And she's shocking him randomly. And he's like, could you at least tell me when you're going to shock me? And she says, sorry, can't because it has to be random or your brain will adjust. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then it has to be stronger or, you know, or weaker. You know, we have to, we have to vary the, the strength of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and that scene is, is very nicely written. She asks him nonsensical questions and he gets yeah. shocked. Um, but then he he leaves. It's like my brain was just fine until you started shocking me. Um, and she then opens a medical case and it's got what look like three medical devices in it. But she snaps them together and they're like a phaser rifle. Yeah. <laughs> a medical phaser <laughs> rifle of some sort. <laughs> and so she chases him with that. Um also, at one point, she uh, uh, she's chasing him with a syringe and he's like, what's in that medical venom? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Medical venom. That's awesome. <laughs> and then she's like, got a, a laser scalpel. It's like a little Star Wars 
you know, um, lightsaber, lightsa- lightsaber, yeah. except yeah. it's a scalpel. And yeah. <laughs> she's like, I need to cut your brain out so I can rewire your dendrites on the microscopic level. And she's yeah. like, you're not messing with my brain. I'll give it right back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I love I love his line. I just want to go swimming with girls. Then give me your brain. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, 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 the uh, emotional climax of their, of their interaction, you know, this very tender moment plays out as giant head of red of first officer ransom is floating around outside the windows of the ship, attacking yeah. the ship. Like it's <laughs> right. like, they're not even noticing it. it. It's that was, that was uh so, so that's a great segue to our a plot. Yes. So um, yep. they go down to the planet and Mariner's side mi- and the ostensible mission, they're completing second contact with this Aspergosian race. And they need him to pick a subspace phone number. And that's <laughs> so the main mission. So All they, they need to do, yeah. get a subspace phone number. They need him to pick a number so that they can be called on subspace. And the Ambergosians, the Apergosians have a complex relationship with numbers. And so <laughs> this is this is like the people at the phone stand in the mall who yes. are just like, oh, I don't know if I want this number or not. Um <laughs> And, oh, that one's too close to my old girlfriends, uh, yep. the Apergosian leader says. But Beckett's side mission is the, these people have had an industrial revolution that has left soot all over their public buildings. And this is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I, I don't know if you've ever been to like an old church that from before electric lighting, but unless they've cleaned the outside or the inside, it will mm-hmm. have soot stains all over it. Yeah. Um, because they had to burn, you know, stuff to get light and heat. And so these buildings really will have soot stains all over them unless they've been cleaned. And so Mariner is going to power wash a couple of buildings down there to show them that they could, like, take care of their environment. (laughs) And, And so she's power washing these buildings and revealing these beautiful murals on them and the 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 are like wow i had no idea the ancients painted those and then she power washes some kind of giant orb on top of one of the buildings and it activates an ancient machine and i don't know why this is here or what its function was supposed to be we're never yeah. told yeah but it involves strange energies and i like how when uh, the captain asks Dr. Ta'ana, what are straight, what are strange energies, electromagnetic energies with unknown properties? Yeah. <laughs> Bingo. That's exactly what they would be. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it starts zap it, this machine activates and it starts zapping people, including first officer ransom. And he goes all Gary Mitchell on us. He yes. gets he gets the same kind of powers we saw in the second pilot to Star Trek, and he starts regarding himself as a god, and and he starts hovering. And Beckett says he's hovering. I think he's going godlike on us. And Doctor Taana says, "Let's not jump to conclusions until I run some tests." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then he starts transforming the Apergosians into. Uh, copies of himself they all have his head oh yeah and which is could be another doctor who reference because of the the master yeah. race yeah. and the end of time right um but here he said he calls them ransomites and um as soon as he starts transforming them 
the Apergosian leader says, hey, don't transform my constituents. <laughs> yeah. And it and it turns out he's there's this character. I don't know if we've seen him before. I think we may have named yeah. Stevens. Yes. Who yes, apparently just worships Ransom. Yes. Right. And and like when Ransom is going godlike, he's the first to fall on his face. And it's like all hail Ransom. <laughs> um, <laughs> but at, when Ransom starts creating the Ransomites and the leader says, hey, don't transform my constituents. Stevens is, ooh, ooh, do me. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, we did see uh, Stevens last last season, but they've they've taken him to the next level with this one, I think. Um, yeah. I also the, like how af- as he's hovering, Ransom is doing ex- telekinetic exercises. He's lifting rocks and yeah. boulders and trees, and they're going up and down as if they were a set of weights. And he's like, ooh, feel the burn. <laughs> and yeah. he transforms stuff into <laughs> exercise equipment and uh, destroys their museum of popular music and makes the moon disappear yeah he's going all crazy and eventually his head swells and pops yeah. off his body yeah. like it's a little bit of like i, I like the 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 subtext in that that ransom is so you know self egotistical it's yeah. egotistical that yeah his head would swell and pop off his body which <laughs> which reminded me of a couple of episodes of the original series um mm-hmm. because in who mourns for adonis yes yes i was thinking that we have apollo's hand come up and like grab the enterprise and mm-hmm. in the savage curtain we have abraham lincoln sitting there on a chair in front in space in front of the Enterprise. Right. And so the Enterprise has been uh, confronted by preternatural bodies and body parts before. And as Ransom's head is coming up to the ship, the helmsman gets some great lines. I don't know that the helmsman has a name, but the mm-hmm. helmsman is like, Captain, there's a giant head approaching the ship. <laughs> and And then later... He's growing hands. Prepare for grabbing. <laughs> <laughs> for, yeah. And, and all this time, uh, Rutherford's on his date with Barnes, by the way. And I, I, did, I forgot to, that we didn't mention that Barnes is a trill. And she has yeah. this um, this uh, little conversation where she talk, talks about her sister her, got a trill symbiont and would change her personality. And, you know, all she talks about is like, blah, blah, blah. I've got a trill and you don't. And it's, I've it's got very... a symbiote. It's like, yes, we know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but she's apparently works in cetacean ops, which is cetaceans are like dolphins and certain kinds of whales. So I think well, that those... would be the cetacean bridge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the right. op center for the cetaceans. And this is actually they in the blueprints for next gen era enterprise. They have cetaceans on board as officers mm-hmm. yes we just never see them so long and thanks for all the fish uh so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the dolphins are very smart uh so um yeah he runs so we got ransom running amok they um what happens is it, it makes both mariner and and captain freeman have to acknowledge that they both hate the arrangement they've come to yeah. and that's what gets them to each use their own personal uh, skills. Ways, skills to mm-hmm. <laughs> Mariner's skill <laughs> in subduing Ransom. Mariner's skill is apparently kicking uh, Ransom in the neutral zone. In the neutral, yep. thank you, in the neutral zone until he is subdued, uh, and then <laughs> even after that, which uh, <laughs> and then they drop a boulder on him, like yeah, did to I, I, I like, Mitchell. I like the payoff. So, so initially, the captain is talking to his giant detached head and realizes that if she like it shows understanding to him 
he starts settling down and she starts praising him and he starts settling down. And Beckett says, Mom, he's a god. You can't just praise your way out of this. And the the and and at some point, um, the head decides that he should be the captain. At which point her plan is going south and the um, and so down on the planet, Beckett starts physically assaulting, kicking Ransom (laughs) in his neutral zone, as she puts it. Yes. And earlier in the episode, uh, the captain had asked Dr. Ta'ana, how did Kirk deal with Gary Mitchell? And she says, I dropped a boulder on him. (laughs) So. Yeah. So. um, So as Beckett is kicking ransom he he, his like head shrinks and re it comes down to the planet and reattaches to his body and then he vomits rainbow yes um to indicate much of the strange energy is out of him but he keeps re-succumbing to it so she keeps kicking him until dr ta'ana comes up with a forklift and drops a boulder on him (laughs) yes now luckily for ransom he's in an in an animated cartoon so he survives he's uh we later on we see him on the cerritos in the sick bay where he apologized for the whole omniscient uh, murder god thing as he says, <laughs> and Stevens is there, stays with him, and excitedly sits down and begins reading him the uh, the book, the Nightingale Woman, uh, which, which is, is a reference to City on the Edge of Forever, if I recall correctly. Right, mm-hmm. right. My, lo- my love has wings, slendered feather things, feathered <laughs> things. Mm. <laughs> right, right. So Stevens uh, has has a uh, a, a bro crush on a ransom, and uh, and then there's we end with um, so. Mariners in in Freeman's ready room, and she's like, "Okay, I guess I guess now is when you call them in to take me off to the brig for disobeying orders." Yeah, they're very cheery about it. Oh yeah, it's like you know me so well. Never (laughs) disobey me again. I do what I want. (laughs) Love you, love you. And then uh, we earlier we they had been talking about Boimler and saying, you know, oh, he must be having the time of his life on the Titan with Captain Riker. And this is where we cut to the the Titan which is being uh, in combat with a bunch of Pakled ships. And yeah, no, Pakleds again. They're a serious <laughs> threat now. <laughs> apparently become a serious threat. And they have to go into this anomaly. And Boimler is terrified. Riker's having the time of his life. And, uh, and it's like they go into the anomaly and they go undergo something called gluonic disruption, which causes them to uh, distort. As they, like their heads get all glue, you and, know. Uh, and actually, that's not that would be a real thing. So gluons are the uh, force carrying particles that hold neutrons and protons together uh, in the uh, atomic nucleus. They mediate the strong uh, nuclear force, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so it's very hard to pull quarks out of um, his bar out of out of out of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> out of a particle they like want to snap back so yes. you get this distortion um and so if you interfered with the gluons it would it, it could the, the kind of distortion effect yeah. we see could make some sense so, so while boimler's terrified Riker yells i love my job <laughs> i love the Riker in this series it's just he's so <laughs> insane <laughs> <laughs> Over the top, yeah. yeah it's well, just so he, awesome. he also he has that line that um, you know the jazz inspired line is there yeah. in the middle of combat and what is it, Dom? He says, "I think you have the quote." I'm starting to think this jam session's got too many licks and not enough comp. And Boimler says, "What does that even mean?" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, like I had to. I laughed out loud at that one. That was so good. 
Yeah, although with Riker's longstanding interest in jazz, yes. he's got that woven into it. But I know what a lick is. I'm not sure what a comp is. I didn't look it up. Yeah, it's uh, jazz musicians are gonna. Well, we'll definitely know what that is. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming. Well, the one one thing I saw it said count instead of comp. Mm. It sounded like comp and that to me. Would be like a one, two, three, four. You know. Mm. Yeah. No, it sounded like I, comp to me. I had the subtitles turned on and it said comp for what that's for. Subtitles are often yeah. wrong. Yeah. yeah. Actually, the I love my job part, because they're going into this distortion effect, they've also modified the sound. And I don't know if I would have understood what he said if it wasn't for the subtitles. <laughs> that's yeah. true. True. All right. So and that's that's where we end with with this episode. Um, one little behind the scenes note is um, Fred. Tata Shkori, I'm sorry, Fred. Mm-hmm. plays Rutherford? Yeah, well, no, he played no. Shax in the original oh. season, the Bajoran oh. security chief, who died mm-hmm. last right. season. Uh, right. They have him continuing to play uh, background characters. In this one, he was the holographic Cardassian uh, male guards in that, oh. in, the, in, the, in the opening. So they're apparently going to keep using him. Uh, and they'll a, probably give him a new role at some point. I yeah. Mean, prominent one. Right. Because right mm-hmm. now we don't have a security chief. That's true. That's true. So any other notes about this episode, Father Corey? Uh, speaking about the o- opening credits, you know, the, in, in season one, there was a, a scene where the uh, the Cerritos comes to uh, where the uh, Romulans are fighting the Borg, the Borg attack, and the Cerritos takes off. Well, the pack letter there now, too, in this yeah. season. Oh. Uh, they're in that mm-hmm. same battle. Yep. Uh, and then, you know, we mentioned the the female interrogator. I still would love to have had David Warner do it, but it was voiced by Missy Pyle, who was, of course, the female alien on Galaxy Quest. Oh, oh, okay. Interesting. Okay. Now she's in the historical documents herself. <laughs> yes, she is. <laughs> I still love in the opening credits the uh, the scene where the Cerritos is flying by from right the right of the screen to the left mm-hmm. of the screen, and as it does that, its it rear engines come into view, and we see there's a giant space crustacean sucking on one of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> by the way. Um, the Apricosian leader was voiced by Randall Park, who you would recognize from both Ant-Man and WandaVision as the FBI agent the, mm. that shows oh. up. Yeah. And he's been in a bunch of other things. He's he's a lot of fun. Nice. Uh, so he's also also in it, too. So it's, uh, it's, they have a great they have a great voice cast and it's a lot of fun watching this. Yep. Jimmy, any, any last notes nope. for you? OK, so uh, before we close, out, I, I want to talk about the feedback we've been getting, as I promised. Uh, in our first bit of yes, feedback, yes, you did. Time I promise. To pay off that promise. Now. I always exactly. deliver on my promises. Uh, so you, <laughs> as far as you know. So Michael Roche <laughs> says on Facebook about our episode one sixty four on Vortex. The uh, that was the DS nine episode regarding taking a runabout to do the extradition. So uh, uh, mm-hmm. Odo was taking a an alien back to the wormhole to his home planet uh, because he was an escaped criminal. So one of the things that bugged me about DS9 was how seemingly little the Federation cared about the Gamma Quadrant. The wormhole should have been an exciting gateway. They expect the half dozen Starfleet ships to be, you know, docked at DS9 at any given time to study it or to go through it. But instead, they never seemed too interested in exploring. I know they were rebuilding the fleet post Wolf 359, plus didn't want to scare off Bajor from potential membership. But come on. Also, love the mental image of Jimmy literally waltzing across the DMZ into North Korea. <laughs> I don't remember that. But yeah, okay, it's, it's been a while I since know, we... I I do know how to waltz. So, <laughs> yeah. so I think they over the course of DS Nine they made it clear that ships were 
regularly going through and exploring yeah. on the other side. So, well, e- even in this episode, we meet a Vulcan ship that is in the right. Gamma Quadrant to study it. Yeah, right. It was more more civilian going across the studying than it was Starfleet. So it would be a civilian scientific vessel that would be going in instead of a Starfleet vessel. Right. But you would think that would Starfleet, where our mission is to explore, you know, and they would send them through. Now, later on, once we meet the founders and there's all that conflict, obviously that's a reason why they don't go through as much. But uh, uh, that is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then another feedback we got on our Instagram, where we're at StarQuest Network, uh, Hawk Soldat. Uh, r- writes on our episode 165 on The Gift, that's the Voyager episode where Kess leaves, mm-hmm. the actress who played Kess was suffering from a drug abuse problem throughout the show and she was let go in a strange manner because of the increasing issues of abuse. Now we had talked about why they were placed Kess with uh, Seven of Nine. I mm-hmm. want to mention there was this was a rumor that was spread at the time of drug abuse, but there's no evidence right. that the, the yeah, Jennifer I- Lean I haven't encountered it in any of the reading I've done. Yeah. There was a 2020 book that came out that claimed she suffered mental health issues at the time. But hmm. there's that's that's this recent book. Now, she did suffer from mental health issues later on in more mm-hmm. recent years, which we mm-hmm. pray that she's she's been getting help for. Uh, yeah. But uh, but I think there's some back filling that people are doing in their minds where if she's having issues now, that must be because she was having issues then. And I don't think there's evidence for that. It is. And and I don't have any evidence for it, so I couldn't assert it. But I do know just as a point of reference, there are situations where actors leave programs because of mm-hmm. drug issues or mental health issues, and it is not revealed to the mm-hmm. public. Um, right. The most famous case of that that I I'm aware of is um, when Michael O'Hare left Babylon five. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. He, they, they publicly did not discuss the reason why he left. And it was, it would, the rumor was that he was too stiff as an actor for the network. And they were afraid that the show wouldn't survive if they didn't get a more engaging captain. So they brought in Bruce Boxleitner to be captain Sheridan and replace him as Jeffrey Sinclair. And, um, Joe Michael Straczynski was very secretive about what happened. And the network problem theory was the established theory for years and years and years until Michael O'Hare passed on. And at Mm -hmm. that point, Joe Straczynski came forward and said, "Okay, now I can tell you the real story because he told me to tell it after his death. The real story is he was developing paranoid schizophrenia. And he was barely getting through the day and he was having breaks with that were psychotic breaks that were problematic. Like um, uh, he would be driving to work with Jerry Doyle, who played Garibaldi, and they'd be listening to the radio and Michael O'Hare would reach over and turn it off because he thought there were voices talking to him through the radio And then we had this episode, it's uh, I believe it's and the sky full of stars where he's being mentally tortured about a hole in his memory Mm. from the Mimbari war by Uh. people who think he has secret memories. And that didn't help him. No. And and Joe was willing to shut down the show. Um, This was in its first season, shut down the show to try to get him help. And he said, no, I don't want everyone to lose their jobs. Give me a chance. 
and he mm-hmm. made it through the end of the first season, hanging on by his fingernails. But they kept the show going, and he then later told Joe, when I'm gone, tell people about this so they will know that this happens to people and that they can get help. Yes. Sure. So as far as Jennifer Lean goes, I think the 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 reason she departed, I'm going to stick uh, as far as like you know the the evidence that we have is that yeah. uh, she was replaced because they were bringing they in another actress. To, they yeah. didn't know what to do with her writing wise, and right. so she well, was on the chopping block when they brought in the reinvigoration character and the, and and the has, budget. Yeah, and, and she has she has left acting. She hasn't acted on anything since after basically after Voyager, right. uh, and she said publicly it's just it was just too too difficult for her. Yeah. The, the, she enjoyed acting, but just the whole everything surrounding acting was, was just too difficult for her. So, so, uh, and then our last bit of feedback comes from Charles Vaughn, who wrote on Facebook on our episode 157 on Cathexis. That was the um, Voyager episode where Chakotay's uh, brain, his soul, quote unquote, got separated and floated around Voyager and had to be brought back through the medicine wheel. Those troublesome floating personal parts. <laughs> uh, hi, guys. This is the first show I've tuned into. And as a Star Trek fan, I've really enjoyed the humor and witty banter. However, I was hoping for an analysis or critique from the Catholic perspective that would point out some of the metaphysical plot holes. The two philosophical errors I was hoping you'd comment on are comment on are one metempsychosis, a.k.a. transmigration of souls and two reductionism slash materialism in the sense that the soul gets reduced to a mere material thing that gets transferred from one body to another rather than being an immaterial substantial form created by God. Uh, okay. (laughs) So, so we don't actually have metempsychosis happening here. Um, I mean, that's another word for reincarnation and nobody dies and gets born into a new body. Right. right. So it's not reincarnation in the standard sense. Um, What you have is a kind of mental influence. And Mm -hmm. partly, and by the way, welcome as a new listener. Um, We may not have covered these as in depth in this episode because we have covered these kinds of things before yeah. in other episodes. So as if you go back and listen to some of the existing things or as just we go along in the future, you'll hear us comment on these kinds of things. But we don't go in depth on them every single time they come right. up. Um, the in in this case, um, it, it's a little tricky. Um, it's so what Catholic teaching actually holds, and this was defined uh, by the Council of Vienna in the 1300s, is that the rational soul is the substantial form of the body, mm-hmm. but that leaves unanswered are there other forms that the body has and could these potentially be detached now st thomas aquinas was of the opinion that the that there is a single substantial that there's a single form of the body which is the soul but that leaves some questions unanswered like if so and what would happen with christ's soul then when christ's soul when christ dies on the cross and his soul leaves, you know, into your hands, I commend my spirit. Um, when his soul leaves, what's left? Mm. How is it Christ's body anymore? 
Mm. If it, it does, it, it would seem to have a form that's holding it together, but it's not his rational soul. Um, and, and, and how it, can it be described as his, if he no longer has absolutely no connection with it and because his soul is gone. So, uh, various other medieval theologians um, explored this, these kinds of questions and, and proposed different solutions. Um, most notably, and actually that's why the Council of Vienna not only defined that, um, that Christ, or that, uh, that this rational soul is the substantial form of the body, but also that Christ really died. Mm-hmm. Because this right. was a this was a hot theological issue at the time, and other the, other theologians proposed other solutions. Famously, um, the uh, the doctor Subtilis, uh, the subtle doctor um, John Dun Scotus, proposed that there are multiple forms that we have, including for each of our organs, which is why your liver is different than your kidneys and your mm-hmm. kidneys are different than your heart, that there's a form for each one of these things, in, and including your overall body. And then your rational soul, your intellective soul, is kind of at the top of that hierarchy and integrates all of these lower forms. But if that's the case, then there could be things that... um that could uh, be like parts of you that are immaterial that might be detachable and be able to have an influence elsewhere. And so, or even your intellectual soul could, if, if separated from the body, you could still have your body potentially animated by one of these lesser things. Mm-hmm. And 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 you, and you might be able to remotely influence another person's body or things like that. So I don't know that the I don't know that uh, Catholic philosophy or theology on these matters is so rigid as to preclude what we actually see in this episode. Mm-hmm. There may be ways to harmonize them. Interesting. I wonder if that could be part. Uh, it, it, based on that. Explanations for things like uh, ghostly hauntings and yes, paranormal it, phenomena. It, it has been proposed that yeah. that maybe there's a kind of residue mm-hmm. that's left over, even though the intellective soul has departed, that there may be a kind of, of mental residue or spiritual residue that's left behind that could explain uh, hauntings. Excellent. Cool. Well, Charles, I hope that uh, was a sufficient uh, Catholic perspective on that episode that uh, helped flesh that out. Thank you for asking. And that's one of the things we love about feedback is if we don't answer a question or approach a, a point in an episode, you can ask yep. and we'll, we'll bring it up again. So excellent. We, so we love your feedback. All right. Well, we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Oliver T., William N., Father Jason S., David P., and Lizzie G., their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. We'd love to know what you think of Strange Energies, this first episode of the second season of Lower Decks. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or at our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media. Or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next week when we'll be discussing the next episode of Lower Decks called Kayshawn, His Eyes Open. 
I wonder what that's going to be about. <laughs> Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Shaka when the walls fell. <laughs> and once again, <laughs> I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on Star Quest. And remember, it's leg day.